I just slipped through an exam and you're listening to a Radio 1 91 FM podcast. It's history time. Come on, tell your friends. We'll visit New Zealand's ancient lands with Jamie the host and Dr. Valetta Gillibit the historian. Our fun will never end because it's history time. Right now I'm joined by Dr. Violetta Gillibit. At the money! At the money! Lovely to see you, Jamie. You too, my friend. Um, we're back for history time. I'm so excited, really excited, and I'm really excited about our uh, subject matter today, an absolute icon, not just um, in the LGBTIQ plus world, but in New Zealand and Australia in general, Carmen Rupe, aka Carmen. Absolutely. Um what a character. Gosh, not um, not many figures have the honour of being described as an icon in their biography, the Dictionary of New Zealand, uh, TLR mm. Encyclopedia. So, like, yeah, it, it's very accurate. Um, what a character. Where should we begin, Jamie? It's so hard to know. I don't know. Why? I mean, I guess you quickly begin at the beginning, I guess, because Carmen, um, for those who don't know, is trans um, transgender. It was transgender, of course. Um, but grew, grew up in a really small rural community of uh, Waimaha uh, in the Reopehu district near Taramanui. Living in this small town, being Māori, where life revolved around the farm and the marae. Yeah, and she was born in 1936. That to me is just astonishing because she was decades ahead of her time, certifiably, mm. because... Um, as we, as we'll discuss later, I reckon. But yeah, um, a Waimiha and no electricity. Life revolves around the farm, the marae. It's a very small community. She's got six siblings, mm. and it's a really uh, kind of whānau heavy environment. There are um, extended relatives, and Carmen's koro was um, very well respected tohanga. Uh, her kuia was an expert koro weaver. So. A really culturally rich upbringing um, in a quiet part of the world. Yeah. Yeah, really quiet part of the world. Um, but had bigger dreams, and from um, you know really early age knew that she was a girl and wanted to be a woman. I think about eight, she kind of um, declared that fact, and it wasn't really frowned upon within the community or within her family. Um, which which was amazing for the times. Urban parts of Aotearoa, Māori were real sexually empowered people, that, and, and that was really mm-hmm. quashed by the missionaries that came, uh, and, and you know the westernised like, ideas around that really quashed that, um, especially in in the urban centres. Um, but maybe it didn't reach into the rural areas as much. I don't know. Well, Christianity um, got into heaps of places, but never really cancelled out um, certain elements of the, the Māori world and Māori beliefs, and it varied um, place to place. But, um, you know, especially being in this culturally rich uh, family that she grew up in, it harkens kind of back to the Takatapui individuals who lived before and after colonisation, um, that definitely, like, and beyond that, that there was so many different um, marital arrangements. There was gender roles and identities that were more open and fluid um, before missionaries began changing things, as you mentioned. So it's kind of that connecting link there. And recently we've had this beautiful resurgence with, um, you know, folks, lots of folks identifying as Takatapu and 
kind of stepping back into those shoes. So Carmen Rupe is uh, one of the forerunners of that. Mm. Um, and she certainly, yeah, had big dreams. I mean, um, beyond seeing herself as a girl and wanting to grow up into a woman, she dreamed of being like a Hollywood starlet. You know, she yeah. saw the movie. She was massively inspired by the glamour and the... Outrageous personalities of some of the starlets that she watched on stage, and she really brought that energy into her life in a big way. Into Aotearoa as a whole, we were blessed. We were blessed indeed, and that's where the name came from, Carmen. From that classic, mm-hmm. uh, people would will know the character of Carmen. I guess uh, the Carmen, I think, is the one that used to wear a lot of the fruit hats. Yes. It was kind of that iconic image. And there were a couple of um, starlets, like Rita Hayworth played yeah. a character in The Loves of Carmen. And there was also Carmen Miranda. And I can't yeah, remember right. whom of those, if uh, either wore a fruit hat, but it was an iconic look for sure. <laughs> so Carmen, I think we worked in a, in a wood sawmill for a while because that, that was the industry and the area uh, mm. where she lived. And then she had dreams of becoming a nurse left um, left home and I think during this time in nurse training had to do compulsory military training and actually found herself living in Otipote doing some military training in the medical corp um, and based out at Tairi Airport which was an Air Force uh, airport at the time and that's where uh, her performing life began performing for um, you know the all the trainees and everybody else was based there doing the hula, uh, another classic yeah. dances. Yeah, I mean, her performance, um, and by the way, nice work uncovering the fact that it was at Tairi because I had no clue, um, but that, you know, she was performing in drag and semi-drag doing these kinds of comedic, um, saucy routines. Um and she's, you know, doing military training, but her first drag performance in hula was when she was 15 years old in Tomaranui. And yeah. so I think that speaks to a lot as well, that even in Pakia culture at the time, there were ways of being queer. They just weren't necessarily recognised as such. And especially during the Second World War, drag acts were iconic. Um, there is an incredible book about three Kiwi drag performers um, who toured around during the Second World War. Um, and I forget the title and the author's name because I'm terrible, but um, you certainly <laughs> find it if you looked it up. <laughs> it's there, the history's there. <laughs> so that she becomes a nurse, um, moves to Auckland, but, you know, it's the lights and the glamour of the clubs and the adventure is mm-hmm. what, what Carmen really craves, right? Oh, absolutely. And she found some some good outlets for that, for sure. Like, um, in one sense, she was performing kind of getting dressed up and working on her her profile as an entertainer in Auckland. Um, but she also discovered sex work at this time and she figured that that opened a heck of a lot of doors for her. Um, mm. It was this one instance um, it's talked about in her biography where she travelled on a ship between Auckland and Sydney with some pretty rich clients and she was just, you know, the luxury and the excitement of it all suited her just fine. And so... And that was an avenue of work she pursued her whole life, um, even when she, quote-unquote, didn't have to, which yeah. is a question that that is asked a lot of um, sex workers who kind of carry on in the business. And it's just another job, and some are really good at it and, um, you know, get a real kick out of it, as we do with all our jobs when we find That's a good right. one. So Carmen was certainly that way. She was um, a long-time industry figure and 
but that was only like one of the things really yeah you couldn't count them on on all your fingers if you tried um she was busy <laughs> Very busy. For sure. Um, you know, you know, so d- 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 this is, the, and we're talking about the late 50s here. You know, we're not talking about yeah. the, you know, we're not into the swing 60s yet, and New Zealand was so many years behind. Mm. You know, it was almost a swing 70s for us. You know, and the and, and the fact that she was accepted in many different facets, like you were saying, of society, like the people that she went to Sydney with, you know, they were mega wealthy, mega connected people, and it wasn't like they were hiding this. This was uh, in the open. This is incredible. Um, and so she she moved to Sydney in I think 1959. Yeah, correct. Yeah. She she stepped it up a notch. Um, she got in with King's Cross, which really is just a testament to kind of her boldness and her skill as an entertainer. That she um, you know got set up in what I suppose is one of the better known red light districts in the whole South Pacific. Um, It was glamour, but also, you know, some risk. I mean, uh, you might be sipping champagne one minute and having violent encounters with police the next. Um, It was an up and down kind of life, but she just did amazingly. Um, She was up there dancing with two metal on pythons. Yes. Handmade costumes that would have rivaled any outfit you see on RuPaul's Drag Race now. Like she was just so skilled and mm. you know did a thing um but she was she she was back in new zealand before too long maybe. yeah and i think at this yeah. this stage she was kind of still living as a man but working as a woman um mm-hmm. you know and like you said she moved back to new zealand she went, i think she went to wellington um first off in the early 60s and had her had her first really heavy run-in with the law Yes, yes. Um, interestingly, it was a completely unfounded one. Um, mm. 1966, uh, she was found behaving in an offensive manner in a public place, which um, by the arresting officer's estimation is that she was um, in women's clothing, which was, you know, perfectly fitting for Carmen. Um, but of course, in uh, especially in the 60s, but all the way up until two decades later in 1986 male homosexuality was illegal in New Zealand um, however it wasn't illegal to dress in women's clothes as a man and so mm. the judge threw out the case and was like you know this is this isn't this isn't anything and kind of you know so that was a huge um, win for well in the queer history of New Zealand but also particularly for Carmen because after that she just did away with um the to and in a fro and completely she lived full-time as herself as Carmen Mm -hmm, yeah mm -hmm. and she took it further she got her um passport changed the gender of her passport that's right that's right she did Uh, and it's that's incredible and I I was shocked when I first read that I thought wow I did that you know I'm surprised that she, she was allowed to do that in the times Yes, yes. It was a, it was a while later, um, and she'd uh, been on hormones for quite a while, taken some surgical steps, you know, all of those things that kind of uh, encourage the state to um, mm. recognise gender identity. Um, but nonetheless, like, again, just um dictionary definition of a trailblazer. Um, Indeed. So... As, as you can imagine, as we could probably all imagine, getting hauled up uh, in court was, you know, a pretty unpleasant experience for her. So she took a break and went back to Sydney. Yeah. Um, and here she really worked on her um, entertaining prowess. She developed this signature belly dance routine that would she'd just become absolutely famous for um, nat- nationally, um, even internationally. 
um, snakes, making all the clothing herself. So she basically took this whole wardrobe and this massive um, array of performing skills that she developed back to Wellington yet again and mm-hmm. opened up a late night cafe. Yes, not any late night cafe, Carmen's International Coffee Lounge, um, which was oh, yeah. um, like world famous. You know, not just famous in Aotearoa uh, or just in, in Wellington, um, but world famous uh, with international and national celebrities um, going there. It was a hot spot. It didn't, it didn't have a liquor license, but they had some brandy there to put in your coffee if you wanted it. Um, oh, and, yeah. Yeah, and, and it was real proper Moulin Rouge style entertainment. Truly. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes. It was all plush interiors and antiques and velvet and 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. opening hours. Circus so, I mean, acts. I think a lot of us... Oh, yeah, yeah. Circus acts, burlesque, um, all sorts. Just amazing. And we think, again, like, this is the late 60s when New Zealand still had 6 o'clock closing for pubs. Yeah. But if you're serving alcohol illegally, you could have this... Um, completely outrageous thriving queer culture going um right in the heart of a supposedly conservative puritanical new zealand yeah yeah so yeah carmen was right at the heart of it um she also had uh, other services on offer beyond um a spiked coffee as we might guess that you know she took her managing uh, skills into the sex industry again and operated that as a part of the business so you could actually discreetly place an order for services by the way you've arranged your coffee cups yes that's and, right uh, this was again of course to circumvent the fact that um sex work was illegal but um it was completely accepting of queer preferences um and whatnot so it was uh yeah just kind of a real what we see as an anomaly I can uptight these New Zealand. Whereas you said uh, the swinging, well, the sexual revolution was a bit of a decade late. So, yeah, totally. Yeah, um, good times. Had a buzzer by the door (laughs) if the cops came so she could quickly tell everybody upstairs uh, that the police were here. Network of corridors, escape routes. And a good thing, too, because I mean, not only was it fairly dangerous to be a queer sex worker. back in, you know, the mid to late 20th century. But uh, as she claimed on television scandalously mm. one time, some of her clients were MPs. Yes, yes. Or, you know, prominent in... uh, New Zealanders. So it's in 1975. Who, yeah. so 1975. Yes. yes. Uh, and, and claimed that one unnamed MP was homosexual and several others were um, bisexual. And um, this is because of this, because... Um, you know, there is parliament privileges, of uh, of course, but this somehow was a part of parliament, parliament's privilege and the fact that she had said that this had happened and she had, um, you know, she had broken the parliamentary privilege laws and so she was, she, she had to um, go in front of the committee. Oh, yeah, and she loved it. She loved the attention and the scandal. She wore a ball gown, I think, and arrived in a chauffeured limo. yeah. Chauffeured limo. I don't know why I said it that way. But yeah, no, um, just was so good in the spotlight. Um, and so by then in the 70s, you know, she's making TV appearances and dropping mm. bombs about MPs' sex lives. Um, she'd already become a very famous national figure. Um, and yeah, it was only set to continue. 
Yes, really. Yes, uh, she she pulled the ball gown move um, at many other points in her career. One of which was uh, during her mayoral campaign. That's right. That's right. This was um, she's so familiar with the backing of Sir Bob Jones, uh, another New Zealand icon for probably a lot of wrong reasons. <laughs> Um, yeah, because in my notes, I just put Sid Vermeer with Sir Bob Jones backings in 1977. Lol. That, that's my notes <laughs> for that. It's uh, such an enigmatic combination. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, ran, of course, on some uh, amazing policies, extending bar hours. Um, that's not going to happen. Um, well, I mean, it eventually did, but then they'll scale back again. But things like lowering the drinking age, which eventually happened making sex work legal, homosexual law reform, and uh, decriminalisation of abortion. All, all subjects um, obviously close to Carmen's heart and close to all the New Zealanders' hearts, and all those things eventually did happen. So a trailblazer in that regard as well. Oh, pretty much every regard. And just the fact, especially with like sex work, homosexuality, and abortion in the seven, across the 70s, 80s, and 90s, literally decade by decade, each one of her policies became a widely accepted, mm. you know, social necessity, reality. Um, she was just so ahead of it in that respect too. Can you imagine a mayor running on those platforms in the yeah. 70s when, I mean, feminism was still quite a new and scandalous topic. And here you have an out trans woman campaigning, you know, behind even some of the more contentious topics among feminism, like, you know, the issue of abortion um, and uh, same-sex attraction would end up kind of splintering the feminist movement in some ways, like towards the 80s as things rolled on. And here's Carmen. At the, at the same time as the, the, the national scandal with, um, you know, that same year with the parliamentarians um, going to her brothel, in that same year, she uh, well after that she kind of made herself open to support community causes. She said she was available to do public talks for charity, um, and she even was invited and joined the Fenakupa uh, on the steps of Parliament at the end of the Hikoi in 1975. This is incredible. Yeah, you know, what um, a woman! Such a oh, incredible. Yeah, and yeah. so. It's just a beautiful, and you know, her herself being Tangata Fenua, like, of, of obviously, and being, you know, kind of from such a different background and a different walk of life, um, all of these people coming together. And, yeah, the trans community, the queer community was um, right in with all of those struggles. Same with um, opposing the Springbok tour. Like, there's, you know, all of these um, threads of ra- radicalism through New Zealand history that kind of meet at various points, and it's beautiful to see. Indeed, indeed. Um, so it wasn't. It was only a couple of years after she came fourth in the mayoralty race that she moved to Australia permanently. Yes, she continued her good work in Kings Cross, um, her community work, all of the the outreach and um, education that she was doing, especially focused around the AIDS epidemic. Yeah. At that time. Yeah. Yeah. Cause very dear to her heart and, um, you know, very prominent in New Zealand um, among the queer communities here at that time as well. Um, but yeah, she just decided to carry on in Sydney and kind of like, you know, would do select special performances on occasion because she was obviously a celebrity in her own right in Sydney. Um, but for the most part, she closed all the clubs down and was just, yes. you know, on the streets looking after the people. She was also um, did a lot of work with the transient and homeless population in Sydney and same for folk in Aotearoa here. So um, 
she just looked out for everybody, really. Mm, mm. And she also was a big part of uh, a group in Sydney as well. Still representing, um, you know, the people. Oh, absolutely. Amazing. Yeah, no. Yep. Yeah. And uh, in the Mardi Gras events in Sydney, I think one of the most um, iconic <laughs> probably mention <laughs> was uh, in her later life. When was it? 2008. So she would have been 72 years old. And she leads the decade of the divas float down Sydney's Mardi Gras parade on her mobility scooter and topless. Amazing. Like an absolute queen. <laughs> and an absolute baller. I mean, that's kind of like, that was the, the fact that that was another one of her moves um, to me just speaks so much to like her spirit and just how cool she was. I mean, you know, uh, she, she was quite well known for flashing her assets um, in public mm. places, especially where she might be photographed by the press yeah. when she was in New Zealand. Um, and I just like, that's got that kind of, you know, Lil Nas um, giving a lap dance to Satan energy, except she was doing it in the 60s <laughs> and 70s. She was a half century ahead of um, that kind of unapologetic, outrageous queer culture that we see in art and performance nowadays. And drag is as popular as it ever was. Um, mm-hmm. She was out there doing it when it started. Love totally. it. There's those people like, know. you know, sometimes when you do a little bit of reading and research, you know, there's those people that you find sometimes that you, you go, man, I would have loved to have hung out with her. Like, oh, this yeah. is one of those people that I would have loved to have met. She just sounds gangster. She sounds amazing. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely. Um, no, so just three years after that, um, that float for the Divas Through the Decades, um, Carmen sadly passed away. Mm-hmm. In 2011, from uh, kidney failure, I think after a surgery. I see. Yes. No. Um, a life well lived, mm. and uh, as you as you said, just like an incredible person who we would all have been lucky to meet. But uh, we'll have to settle for hearing about her and um, her many incredible ways. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot more stuff out there. There's a book out there, a biography. Uh, that anyone wants to go out and check out, they should be able to pick that up. Um, great read. Um, there's plenty of great stuff uh, online on the said before, you know, the Encyclopedia of Aotearoa and, and all that stuff. You can find out a lot of information about Carmen. Um, hey, well, thank you, Doctor. A pleasure. Oh, well, pleasure's been all mine, Jamie. Um, it's yeah. been a great chat. Look forward to many more. Yes, indeed, indeed. We'll be back uh, next week um, with, with, with some other great uh, history of Aotearoa. That was a Radio 1 91FM podcast. But find more at r1.co.nz.